Hi, welcome to the Rainbow Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Papaniklov. Rainbow and I are on a mission to upgrade humanity with fungi and expand the collective conscious. This podcast builds a virtual mycelial network of bold, open-minded thinkers and seekers. I chat with experts, thought leaders, healers, scientists, entrepreneurs, spiritual teachers, activists, and dreamers. These are stories of healing, human potential, and expansion. Tune in, root in, expand, and journey with us. Hello, I'm chatting with honestly one of my personal heroes today and one of the first people that when I started this podcast I knew I had to interview and I really just couldn't wait to share her wisdom with our community and with the world. She is an absolute force of nature. Juliana Furci, who is a mycologist in the mushroom space, Juliana has been the biggest promoter of the study of and protection of the fungi kingdom in Chile in the last decade. She is the foundress and CEO of the Fungi Foundation. She's the first female mycologist of non-lichenized mushrooms in Chile, and she started her career in 1999 as a self-taught amateur. She just received a super prestigious award from National Geographic, the National Geographic Award for Leadership in Conservation. I am amazed by this woman. Her love of fungi is so inspiring and infectious and the way that she does things and with so much love and such a sense of being a humble servant to the fungi. She always says, and I really resonate with this, that the fungi found her and they chose her in 1999. And a lot of people in the space have that feeling because you're really working with another life form that has a form of intelligence and the way she approaches everything that she does is really what I feel the world needs so much more of in how we approach business and nature. She's been on a really incredible mission for quite some time now, a few years, with the Fauna Flora Funga Project where she's really advocating for the use of mycologically inclusive language as a way for us to more properly refer to macroscopic nature. And her and her team are working to get this into institutions, government, politics, organizations, and they've had so much success around this. So we get into an incredible episode. She tells us a lot about her expeditions out into the wild. She gives us some amazing tips around fungi and foraging and how to get into it. And Juliana's overall energy and sentiment about fungi is one that I really deeply resonate with. And I know that you will too. So let's tune in and hear from Juliana. Hello, Juliana. Hello, Tonya. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. This is a long time in the works, and you are one fantastically mission-driven lady that has just been, what a year for you. Yeah, 
A lot of work. Lots of work. <laughs> it's been good. That's amazing. It is so incredible to see all of the work that you're doing and the way that you are just such an advocate for fungi and the passion that you bring to it is infectious and it's really just lighting up the world. So I really, I see that and I'm just so constantly impressed and inspired. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are. So my name is Juliana Burti. I am a Chilean, Italian, British national. I was born and brought up in London and I live in Chile and I've been working for the fungi for 23 years now. I started working for fungal conservation issues, education and awareness in 1999. That was a bit of wow. an age drop there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I founded and lead the Fungi Foundation, which is 10 years old this year, 2022. Wow and has offices in Chile and in the U.S. Wow. And you just received a very prestigious award from National Geographic. Holy moly. <laughs> yeah. <that laughs> Congratulations. Was a big well, thank you very much. It's yeah. incredible. In 1999, do you think that you found fungi or did fungi find you? Oh, they find you. There's no question. I've tried to do other things in my life and it's impossible. Yeah, <laughs> there's no way. And I, I stopped trying to do other things, you know, <laughs> maybe 10 years ago. But for a while, I was like, I started when really very few people were talking about fungi, mainly mm-hmm. just Paul Stamets, Gary Linkoff, yeah, David Aurora, but there, I mean, and there definitely weren't any women involved. Mm-hmm. So I was always trying to have another area of work, but I was failing badly and having anything work. It was just a fun day. That makes so much sense because it is clearly what you're here to do. Very clearly. <laughs> Very clearly. What was the moment? So 1999, how did it come across? How did they introduce themselves? I saw a mushroom in a forest and I wanted to know who it was. And there were no books on Chilean fungi. And so it was really... That one mushroom, which I now think it was a gymnopolis, a native Mm. gymnopolis here in Chile, that caught my eye and was just wouldn't let me be at peace with not knowing who she was and drove me to buy books online. And then I sort of went down this rabbit hole of Mm -hmm. I would just memorize the books. And then every mushroom I'd see or every fungus I'd see, I, I would automatically remember names that I'd seen in pictures in books. And that just grew and grew and grew until finally in 2004, I went to Paul Stamets' place and did a course with him at Fungi Perfect. I went when that mm-hmm. was just small business then. Wow. Yeah. I resonate with that. 2011 was when I was first introduced to fungi at a conference. And it was the first time anybody ever spoke of chaga. So my introduction was to medicinal mushrooms. I've been in the health space and interested in nutrition, human nutrition for so long. And I remember that moment where he was speaking to the black pigmentation of this fungus. And it was like this little pearl dropping into the top of my head. And I was like, whoa, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then I similarly fell down a rabbit hole in 2017. So beautiful. You work for the fungi. And I just, I love that sentiment so much because as I meet people, other people who've been in this for so long and are so passionate, 
it's like, you know, there's a reckoning of another life form that you get to interact with. It's hard to put words to you. Yeah, it is funny because a lot of people think that because you've been doing something for very long and because put so much energy into it that you're some ambassador or in, in my case, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're like this fungal queen. And I'm very quick to say, no way, I'm a servant. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the other way around. It's not about us, it's about them. And that yeah. is not even in question. It's just absolutely a certainty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can't move forward. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. You're a woman in mycology. And it's funny that we even have to like, you know, have a conversation about it in 2022. But I guess back in 1999, and as you were coming into this field, was that a consideration for you? Like, were there obstacles that you had to barriers you had to get through? Because you are the first female mycologist of non-lichenized mushrooms in Chile. Yeah, right. that's correct. And also, I mean, you say that we should be mentioning this in 2022. You know, I'll, I'll answer your question and I'll give you an example of just how we're just starting to move forward with recognition of women in, in mycology. My answer is no, I have never had a problem because I'm a woman in trying to advance in mycology. It would be totally unfair to say that that was an impediment in any case. The biggest issue was that here in Chile, the word mushroom is synonymous to penis. And that was just like, it's the only country in the world where we'd be like, oh, you know, I work with mushrooms. And then many men, including senators, members of parliament would be like, oh, I've got a mushroom. And you'll be like, oh, you know, I've heard that one before, whatever. That has been like a challenge. And I'm very happy that it's no longer an immediate challenge because when the National Geographic Award happened just very few weeks ago, the, the national media went wild and not once was there a joke. Not once. The only thing I mentioned to everyone when everybody comes up to me is like, oh, we saw you in the news. And I'm like, do you realize that they're not talking about a penis? (laughs) 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 Anyway, and I've been helped by many, many men and by many, let's just say it, by many old white men as well. Mm -hmm. Don't have that personal experience of being, I haven't suffered racism for being a Latin woman in the field and I haven't had that impediment. What I was mentioning is that so even now, just, just a few weeks ago, I got a, a, an award from the Mycological Society of America and I was the first woman to ever receive that award. And so, uh, well, you know, it's still happening that there mm-hmm. is a disparity in recognition of women in the field of mycology and there is a huge disparity in some job roles between men and women in mycology. And that said, it can be both ways as well. So there are normally you know, lab work, there are many more women than men. And and, and there's just a lot of gender stereotypes that live in mycology that are starting to be broken. I'm very proud that that MSA decided to break one of them by awarding, Mm -hmm. you know, a woman a recognition, the Watson Award. So yeah, it's starting to move even just sometimes now, you know. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. It is. It is crazy. But it's it's really incredible too. you and your work are paving the way for many others. You mentioned about how you got into fungi and you dove in and you started reading books. Do you have any recommendations for I've been out in the forests for many seasons now. And there's so much nuance to being able to identify a mushroom. And of course, I always have my guidebook, but what do you recommend to people that just want to go out into the forest and do some easy identification that are just getting started? There's so many, you know, Latin names and... Yeah. First thing, use a local guidebook. You will have no success taking a North American field guide 
to South America or to Australia. Fungi are specific to their substrates and they're specific to their symbionts. And, and that is very fundamental to understand. And you need to use a local field guide. The other thing I would say is learn the parts of the mushroom. Mm-hmm. A lot of people jump the first pages in a field guide and just go straight to the pictures and the names. But with mycology, with fungi, you really need to read the first pages. Just start from the beginning until the part where before the photos start and learn that. So learn that the insertion of the gills or lamellae into the site is fundamental to know who the fungus is. Because those are the words you're going to read in the description that will ultimately tell you the name of that fungus. So that would be my absolute recommendation. Read the Mm -hmm. first parts of a field guide. Yeah, that's so helpful. You need to learn the names of the parts. You need to know different types of an annulus, a ring. You need to know different types of lamellae. You need to know what they're talking about when they're talking about a margin or a pileus or a vulva. Mm-hmm. This is like trying to identify a cat without knowing what a tail is, what an eye is, what an ear is. That's mm-hmm. exactly what a lot of people try to do. And that's why it's so hard for them. And there's really helpful diagrams and photos now too, right? Of the attached versus yeah. you know, non-attached. That's really yeah. helpful. But but it's the nomenclature. So mycology has a language. We speak the language of a description. And I, I've written several field guides and I always say that language, once you learn it, you can be so poetic with it. It's a beautiful language. So I urge everybody to learn it and to start talking about the current gills or whatever, attached gills, free gills, adnate gills. You just, and you can get into this beautiful language that will definitely take you to know your mushrooms. Mm. Thank you. So you go on really incredible expeditions in Chile and all over the place. Can you share with us an encounter or a a moment that you've had on some of these forays and adventures out into some depths of different parts of South America, right? Where there's, you get lost in the woods. Yeah, weeks in, so walking weeks and off-grid tents and no electricity. Yeah, like the true expedition nature. Mm -hmm. I do that every year, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to really, I think, serve the fungi as as effectively as as I can. I've been on many expeditions. I've been on expeditions in close to 20 countries over the years, in the Amazon and in hammocks, you know, deep Patagonia a lot, because I live here in Chile and we go into the woods. And they're very cold woods. So those are very hardcore expeditions because it's raining and it's cold, it's actually freezing and the terrain is quite harsh. I think it might be something similar to what Alaska might be, right? Or northern Canada. But the mushrooms appear in fall here, not in summer. So it's very cold. And I've had several curious experiences. I'd say one funny thing that happens to me quite a bit is that I have this crazy thing where I've found new species on different occasions just when I go to pee behind the tree. (laughs) (laughs) And that's like a classic. That's awesome. I'm going to go and have a pee and then you come back and like, oh my God, it's a new species. And that's happened. It's happened happened (laughs) in Argentina. It's happened here in Chile. It's it's a thing. That's one funny one that happens. And maybe it's because one is just sort of, you know, crouching down Mm -hmm. close to the floor, just concentrated or just, you know, looking around. Another cool thing that happens a lot in the expeditions is, I don't know if it's cool or not, but you you just need, you need a lot of devotion to be able to get up, you know, by day 10 and put on wet clothes, you know, mm-hmm. when it's almost freezing and, and there's always a reward. So 
I've had great rewards of being very deep into an expedition, really tired, really cold and wet. And, you know, and then suddenly some feeling pulls you to, in a mm. direction that, that isn't an obvious direction and you find something amazing. You know, mm. you find like, the most beautiful fungus. And that's happened to me finding uh, stinkhorns in Patagonia, in Tierra del Fuego, which, that you know, they, it's not easy to do, but it's just this... I remember one occasion, I was about 10 or 11 days into an expedition and, and really not feeling very well, just wanting to be mm-hmm. warm and was drawn to walk off the, you know, the track of the map and found the most beautiful group of Laternia, they're called, and they're pink crown shaped wow. stink horns that are pretty big. Wow. So there's, there's a reward. It's tough. A lot of people think that it's very easy. But you need a lot of devotion, I think. Yeah. You need a lot of devotion to carry, you know, one set of wet clothes, one set of dry clothes, and oh, day after sure. day, get out wow. and put those wet clothes on. Oof. <laughs> and then I've had bad stories, Sonia. I, I once got off a, an expedition to islands in the Magellan Strait, and I'd been away for maybe about a month or something. And when phone signal came in, messages started pinging and my son had been in hospital really ill mm-hmm. really really ill and I'd never found out and those oh, wow. reach me yeah so uh, there's some sweet of course some that are really tough Oof. yeah how many people are with you normally well definitely always three and more okay I used to do expeditions by myself no or, <laughs> oh yeah or, or with one other person oh, I actually wow. have a very funny story being dropped off on an island by myself by a Nat Geo boat who I hitched a ride on which wow. is funny and then you know the navy took me back but that was a lucky one I've been with two people at, in the beginning in you know 2000 yeah. 2001 got lost with somebody in the in the forest and that was like okay two is not enough yeah but more than a number of people what you need is people that you trust your life with and people mm-hmm. who you know know how to handle themselves mm-hmm. in very uncomfortable weather and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that so trust is the key oh yeah them, however many people you go Wow. What's the process of when you're spotting a fungus, maybe that is a new fungus that's never been identified before? Yeah. Is it an ins for you? Is it an instantaneous recognition? Like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this before. This is a new species. And then what happens Mm -hmm. after that? There's spores and like. Yeah. Normally it doesn't have to do with I've never seen it before because every encounter with a mushroom is a magical encounter, right? You are coinciding in the few days that that Mm -hmm. fungus is producing a visible sporum, a spore-producing body. And there are species of fungi that don't do that every year and that don't do that for many years, right? Mm -hmm. Last year, I found a a fungus that hadn't been seen in 21 years, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that happens. It's the literature. So I know here in Chile, I have a very good idea if it's a new species to science because I not only have I seen a lot, but I've read everything there is. Mm For the country. So the recognition is pretty certain on an instant. In other places, so when I go to a different country, I will make sure to study before I go Mm -hmm. to try to research as much as I can about what what fungi exist there, what I might be able to see associated to that tree or to that biome. And then I can get a pretty good idea. And when you find this fungus, it might be a mushroom, it might not be a mushroom, right? it could be a puffball, it could be coralloid, it could be cut fungus, etc. Different shapes, colors, sizes. The first thing you do is not touch it. Do not try to take it out or anything. First step for me that is mandatory is just to hang out with that mushroom. <laughs> 
And I take my time, you know, I'm, I'm well known in the field. I actually just lie down next to them. I hang out for at least five minutes. I will look, I will smell, I'll observe, I'll look what it's growing with, who, what plants or animals might be around. Very, look very carefully if there are more around, but there's a first soaking in of where the fungus is deciding to reproduce. Mm-hmm. And there's a temperature to that. So if you get close to the ground, you'll realize that there are some, so I, I sometimes know in the places I go a lot, I know who might be there just because of the temperature, mm-hmm. right? Because you know that they're only around when it's around, you know, when it's cold yeah. or when it's not. So, so being present is really important. And then photograph, photograph without touching anything from above, from below. And in that process of taking photographs, you can start clearing, moving leaves out. I go around with tags, so little labels that are numbered. There's only one label per number. And that label normally has a size bar on it. So I'll put that next to the the fungus and and just be very mindful of the pictures you're taking because you'll need them later. So one from above, one from below, one from the side, the label without the label, because you want some without the label, you know, the size references, et cetera. And then I can move, try to quote unquote, dig it out. Sometimes you don't even have to dig them out. When you're doing scientific collecting, you don't cut the sporum. I don't say fruiting body very much, fruit from plants. So I don't use botanical language with mushrooms. So we call them sporones. Mm-hmm. So a sporome is a spore producing body or known as a fruiting body. And so I'll then try to really get to the bottom of it, literally, because sometimes they're really, really deep in the soil. They're not rooted because they don't have roots, right? They're not plants, but their sporome goes way deep into the soil so there's a process of cleaning around and getting to the bottom of that macroscopic body and then taking pictures in the field smelling it looking at it was there an insect on it more insects was it attached to something all that process of just taking notes i used to write in the field then i went on to recording doing voice Mm -hmm. recordings which i use a lot and taking a photograph or making a little video one of the most important observations is if you touch it does it stain and you'll see that immediately because it's not just collecting that mushroom and then finding all that out when you get back because as they dry they change color as they touch things they can change and get stained or get scratched parts can drop off the observation in the field is important and then we collect them Put them either in a tackle box or in wax paper or in a basket with a bedding of moss or leaves. So one is, we have a saying in scientific collecting. One is nothing, two is something, three is a collection, right? So if you only have one little cup fungus, there's not much you can do with it. You won't have enough to do DNA sampling, to do microscopy, etc. Sometimes you won't even collect it if it's something that you've seen before. And then when we take them back, we do cuts so we can section them and take photographs, again, with measurement and on a monochromatic background, and then dry them. Dry them in a dryer. If you you have electricity, you can use a food dehydrator. If you don't have electricity, (laughs) brace yourself. Um, We use silica gel, body heat. (laughs) It can get really funky. Is this like, so let's say you're on this 14-day trek expedition. You're collecting on that. And are you referring to like a base camp? So when you get back to a tent or whatever you have set up, you'll do some additional drying there or once you're back? Oh, no, they won't last. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Exactly the same day that you, everything happens exactly the same day you collect. Okay. So after a day of collecting, and many of us cap the number of collections we take in a day. 
because of what comes when you get back to camp. Yeah. So there are some mycologists that won't collect more than 15, 20 species in a day. Because when you get back to camp, you know, while everybody else is, you know, having fun, having a beer, having, you know, dinner, <laughs> you're sitting there taking these descriptive photographs, writing down observations, putting everything in a database, and then drying. Because we don't have electricity, we either use silica gel, which we have to actually recharge. So it's a silica gel that then you can, with a heater, with a gas heater, and, and a pan you can dry it out and reuse it again or some sort of like a rack on top of a, a stove a camping stove but mm-hmm. it can't be too hot you can't cook them you know you just need to dry them at not more than 40 degrees centigrade because otherwise the dna degrades drying is the biggest challenge in the old days i would wrap them in paper and put them in my sleeping bag and then just mm-hmm. change the paper every mm-hmm. hour and every with body hour. heat It'd wow. just be like, yeah, yeah. that was like really old school. And you, you know, wake up with the maggots in your sleeping bag and all that. That was, that was <laughs> yeah, hardcore love, of, love Super of fungi. Now silica gel helps. Yeah. yeah. Silica gel helps a lot. But it's uh, the biggest challenge is drying the specimens. And so once they're dry, they can't rehydrate because they'll go moldy. So you have to make sure that they're dry, that they've been dried at not more than 40 degrees centigrade. And then they're put in plastic lock-tight Ziploc bags and put inside another bigger watertight bag and carried around. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. Sometimes if it's a long expedition, I'll just hang, I'll put them in watertight bags and I'll put them on a tree if if there's a path and then I'll pick Mm. them up on my way out of the forest. Yeah. Right. That's devotion. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Definitely devotion. Definite (laughs) devotion. Yeah. And then everyone's finished eating and you're still at it. Bet. Yeah. I love the work that you're doing with the Triple F project and how you're you're really advocating for mycologically inclusive language. I'm on a quest, Tonya. You're, you're on oh, it's a quest. Yes. <laughs> it's an absolute quest. So can you tell us a bit about this? Yeah. In nineteen ninety nine, to all the year two I was realizing that really people were just very comfortable talking about fungi if they were plants sometimes as if they were animals. And I just couldn't help getting very irritated and actually pretty angry about it. And in the year 2017, I was at a, well, 16, I was at a Congress with a an Argentine and a Brazilian colleague, both of them. And we were having some caipirinhas and I was like getting worked up about the situation. <laughs> I was like, we need to do something about this. And the whole idea of Finding a new term to delimit mycologically inclusive language that could be easy to catch on came about. And we were like, funga is the term. Let's look into this. It did actually, it was actually born from Caipirinha, it has to be said. <laughs> the paper says from an informal meeting during the Congress, because we couldn't write, you know, we were partying. But yeah, we decided to start looking into a term that could pair easily onto mm. existing terminology for plants and animals. And, and we realized that, you know, plants and animals, m- most wording in politics, in political fora, talk about fauna and flora. And we were like, okay, well, let's look at a term that can be used to include fungi into these macroscopic groups of life that, that are referred to. And the correct term is mycota or mycobiota, but Fauna, flora, and mycobiota didn't really sound too good. And there was this term funga that had been used in Scandinavian countries for for decades. So there's a very important publication called Funga Nordica, which Mm -hmm. is a credible series of books that gives, you know, broad outlines of different genera of, of mushrooms. And so we started making the case and writing a lot and making the case 
for the term funga, which is an artificial construction, to be added on to fauna and flora, and for this triple S proposal to be pushed in a sort of more of a politically savvy way in which wherever it says fauna and flora, we need to replace it with three S. So the two S are obsolete. Let's mm-hmm. move to three S and include this macroscopic group of life that gives you the ecosystemic view of nature. And it caught on a lot. Amazing. We ended up publishing it with a dear professor from Harvard University who took me and I looked through all the old, you know, first editions of the, from Linnaeus onwards, looking for terms that had been used to refer to fungi. And, and fungo really was the um, the best option. And then came the push for governments and agencies to adopt it. And that's been extremely successful. Yeah, so it's only in 2018 that that was published, four years ago. Wow. And where is it at now? Because I know you had a long list of groups and people and businesses that were signing off on the petition. Where are we at? So where are we at? So the petition is one thing. The petition is a joint effort, the 3F initiative. So one thing is the the triple S proposal, which is this paper that was published in 2018, and that the Fungi Foundation has been pushing for a long time. And then last year, I was contacted by a lawyer, a professor at NYU School of Law, and we approached Merlin Sheldrake. And the three of us, so Merlin, myself, the foundation, and NYU School of Law, started working on the 3F initiative, which was to impulse government to adopt this language. And that's the petition that's still around at faunaflorafunga.org for people to sign up on. But both efforts together, and especially the Triple F initiative that we're doing with Merlin and with Cesar at NYU law has basically taken organizations and government institutions and agencies, museums, universities in 20 countries to adopt that mycologically inclusive language. So we have, for example, Iceland, the biodiversity, the Center for Biodiversity is includes the term funga. Brazil last year changed the name of their national inventory to the flora and funga. Um, mm. of Brazil. In Barcelona, we I mean, it's a long list. It's, it's yeah. close to 20 countries. 19 countries have agencies that have adopted it already in the last four years. So I'd say we're doing pretty good at the moment. Yes. Yeah, we're happy with it. But, but it's only the beginning. We're now moving to bigger international fora. The biggest victory of that campaign was last year, IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, formally and publicly announced mm-hmm. that it would adopt mycologically inclusive language. And that's the largest conservation NGO in the world that informs policy wow. for member countries. Incredible. So, yeah, super good. I guess, you know, for somebody that is new, because there's so many new people to fungi, why is this so important? Can you tell us a bit about this underpinning? And I guess there's a few questions here because why has something so integral to nature gone unnoticed? And why is this so important? So why have they been unnoticed? There are quite some, you know, concrete reasons. For a long time, scientists and naturalists thought that fungi were plants. And it was only until the invention of the microscope that we could see that their cell was different to Mm -hmm. plants or animals. So there's an issue with how much we could see of the organism to understand of the differences, because the difference are microscopic. Fungi have a different type of cell, and they obtain their energy in a different way than plants and animals, from plants and animals. But until we could see that cell wall, or the hyphae of a mycelium, we really didn't know that. The other reason, I would say, is that super important. I mean, it's not only neglect, it's because the tools weren't available to see. 
to see them. Important, um, yeah. And then it was, it's very important. And then in 1969 was when there was a proposal for this group of organisms to be named, you know, in a kingdom or kingdom of their own. And that was accepted and it, and it has taken off. But, and then it was only until the molecular era, I would say, that we really had a full understanding that fungi are more closely related to animals than to plants. So tools have been now, the modern tools to look at organisms have been fundamental in differentiating fungi from plants or animals. Before they were just called like non-photosynthesizing plants, right? Or mm. cryptograms as well, cryptogamic plants. Now, why is it so important? There are several reasons that they're important. They can be, in term, planetary terms, they're fundamental because they're actually the organisms that allow for plants to live outside of water. So when life emerges from an aquatic ecosystem to conquer terrestrial ecosystems, that was only possible by the symbiosis that was formed between plants and fungi, lichens, right? Mm -hmm. So lichens are the first life form that come out, but that uh, plants can't do that by themselves. And algae can't come out of water and just live on land. And so that was done with the fungi. So from shaping and making earth, making soil, all the way to allowing for plants to thrive and become trees, for example. So <laughs> trees can't live without fungi in or on not only their roots, but inside their cells, right? We know now that the fungi, so the huge mass of a tree is actually fungal biomass. Almost all the plants, plants on Earth, almost all of them. And then also for animals to be able to digest plants, like fungi are super important. So, you know, without the fungi in the gut of herbivores, herbivores can't even break down the cell wall made of cellulose plants have. So they're fundamental for life to exist as we know them and know it. And then you can find people who don't find importance in that and think that important things have to do with humans. And there are a whole set of other reasons of why they're right. important for humans. Starting from the fact that fermentation occurs with them and humanity wouldn't have been able to preserve any food or sterilize any liquid to be able to survive. And then we can maybe talk about antibiotics that have changed the face and shape of humanity. So I think there are, yeah. there's so many reasons. You just mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. go on forever. That's perfect. They're, They're basically the firmament. The firmament of life on Earth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy to think about what things would look like without fungi. Yeah, I start my presentations like that. Okay. When I do, well, well I used to do more of them, but it's like sort of introduction to fungi because you know this whole movement and sparking the movement has been very deliberate. You know, the the elders like you know like Paul Stamets and Gary Linkoff and Aurora and so many others who started off with this journey and then and, and I come along in you know in, in another generation but still before the big bang of mm -hmm. mycological awareness so it was deliberate to make this happen a lot of people think oh you're so lucky to see it happen We're like no we we, we worked. worked for this to happen <laughs> yeah right? and so in that process I'd give talks and uh, you know introduction to fungi and you know before you could just say to someone hey watch fantastic fungi or read entangled life You'd give these talks mm -hmm. and then start off with, okay, let's walk on a planet where fungi don't exist. You know, nothing would recycle, no plant would exist. You know, there'd be no beer, no wine, no chocolate, no coffee. You wouldn't be able to wash your clothes with, you know, modern detergents, etc. Basically, nothing would decompose. You know, yeah. so that exercise is such a beautiful. One. I mean, also, we might not even be here. No, we definitely wouldn't be here. Not that we might, we wouldn't. It's impossible. Yeah, not a planet. We would have been able to, yeah, Inhabit. exist on. We're unthinkable without fungi. Yeah, it's so incredible. What have you learned 
And I know that it's so much, but for you, it's it's this beautiful combination of your soul and your spirit and your physical body mm-hmm. and your mental capacity to learn and mm-hmm. share and educate. It's this beautiful, holy trinity of, of existence that's so tied to fungi. So if you could distill it, what has been a big lesson for you? And if you're speaking on behalf of fungi, what are they here to tell us? Oh, I would never try to speak on behalf of fungi. That's one thing. I can tell you my experience. I I, I in no way feel that I could ever speak on on behalf of them. Mm -hmm. But I've learned a couple of things. I think one of the most important things that I've learned is that death isn't an end. And I've learned that from them. So really, truly, just the death of a life form is material for the beginning of many other life forms. It's energy. It's energy for many other life forms to conform Mm -hmm you know, become. And that's been something that, that's important because, I, you know, I, I was brought up in um, more of a Western culture where there is, you know, there are issues with death. You know, people look at death as a loss, as something yeah. that you suffer. But um, Fungi really teach you that they're, mm. they're super cool when one life form ends, <laughs> you can just become so many others. So yeah, that's one. And I, I think the other one that's really important is that no one is without another. Hmm. And really, no one is is without another, which actually takes you to a very, very profound realization that individuals don't exist. There is no such thing as an individual in nature. And fungi teach you that graphically, mm-hmm. graphically, because they live inside their food, right? By mm-hmm. nature, fungi live inside, they, they digest outside of their bodies and then absorb, you know, nutrients. But also that just takes you to really look at how much of every body not everybody, but every body is other bodies mm. and are other bodies. So, yeah, individuals don't exist. No one mm. is without another. And death really isn't an end. That would be a couple of the things I could mention. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah they, they really, um, we always play around with this word of interdependence. Yeah. And the way that fungi show us that so beautifully oh totally yeah it's remarkable essentially i mean it's because it's their essence because yeah i mean just as as other organisms they can't live you know without others but fungi live inside their food and that that makes it very graphic right Mm -hmm. so they're never without their food they're never without the other that they depend on because they have to live in who they depend on Mm -hmm. whereas we don't realize how many Others live inside us that actually depend on us. Yeah, it's a beautiful reckoning. We're at this moment now, 2022, of this explosion of fungal awareness. And <laughs> I know it's it's been the hard work of many who have come before that have paved this way. And it's a question that I get asked a lot often as well, but how did we get here? Why now? I think that it's a, you know, this collective conscious piece. There's yeah. always this element of like... Yeah, I think I think the film Fantastic Fungi has a lot to do with it too. I mean, yeah. there's one thing about collective consciousness and there's... And that's always existed in a... Maybe in a culture that wasn't in the era of communications, etc. But there are some very important mm. people that were always pushing, for example, for the use of psychedelic mushrooms and the understanding of medicinal mushrooms. So that's been going on, you know, for decades. But the massification of it and for it going mainstream, I think, has to do with things that happened before the movie Fantastic Fungi, because there was a lot going on before. But also when the movie came out, it really did push 
for mainstream collective consciousness of the existence of these organisms, of their importance. And then Merlin Sheldrake's book, Entangled Life, is just mm. like, just so massive. Good. I mean, it just made it all more serious, I would say, in scientific terms, and just really shifted the bar because it's an easy reading of very dense mm -hmm. information presented yeah. in a way that's just eloquent and beautiful and elegant. Yeah. And so... So I think it's a combination of the work of the people who have paved the way that was fundamental, right? Fundamental. The work of, that was done before, so Paul Stamets' work and others, so many others, including myself, my work with the political changes that had occurred here, you know, 10 years ago or more, mm -hmm. was the substance that a film Fantastic Fungi could spark interest for and people could find. Yeah. And then from that movie then comes interest in, you know, a bigger mainstream interest in medicinal mushrooms and what they can do and in psychedelic fungi and what they can do and still there are very few of us looking at the politics behind it for conservation mm -hmm. i'd say yeah but it will get there i'm hopeful yeah it's happening anyway it's happening. it was gonna happen yeah it's been happening for decades <laughs> it's just happening quicker now and it's really fun to watch <laughs> what are you excited about what is coming up for the fungi foundation Wow. We're excited for what's happening. There are some really cool expeditions and collaborations going on. One is with SPUN, the Society for the Protection of Underground Networks. Mm. Uh, we already did a, a big expedition this year in Patagonia, and we'll be doing another big one in a place to be announced in another continent um, next year. Yeah, And I'm also really, really excited about the work we're doing in elders program we have, which is uncovering and discovering, in some cases, ancestral uses of fungi for humanity and not edible. So there are medicinal, ceremonial and other uses that are very important, that are very old, that hold the nature-based solutions that we desperately need now for people and planet. So that following up and showing the world what we've been working on for two years now in wow. documenting all those uses is something that's very exciting for me. This is a, this part of a, is a formal program where we're mapping ancestral and traditional uses Incredible. of fungi and that's been going on for a long time. But also part of the elders program is a work we've been doing in Mexico and it's been actually a very quiet work we've been doing also for nearly two years now where we've been helping a Mazatec family recover and restore clean an archive built by their father and it's in Huautla uh, de Jimenez which is where Maria Sabina lived and worked she wasn't born there but it's where she lived and worked and this archive holds thousands of documents photos videos artifacts textiles that speak of the Mastec culture spoken by Mastecs that hold for example, Maria Sabina's story told by herself on video in Mastec, hundreds of photos and video footage of her and wow. other curanderas and curanderas, not only working with fungi, but also working with La Pastora, so with Salvia Divinorum, with Morning Glory, with Cacao, with Maze. And, and so we've been um, working for years now and have managed to rescue that archive, build a new mm -hmm. storage room for it, and are now building a museum. And so it's only very recently been shown a bit to the world, that work that we've been doing, because wow. we've the foundation have chosen to just do it. We 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 do it in a very um sacred. Yeah, it's a sacred and not comms way. And 
the family when the family chooses to communicate and do things then we, we do yeah. too but yeah so that's beautiful and then I'd say the education program is also the biggest exciting thing we're happening we're launching now in October the fungi education curriculum developed by fantastic fungi reconsider and the fungi foundation and it's a curriculum that's paired to U.S. schooling standards, to Chilean standards. The and it has clips from the movie Fantastic Fungi. It has several lessons. There, it's all for free. You enroll in fungieducation.org. You find all the lessons there, the modules, webinars for teachers. We've gone through mm-hmm. many pilot cycles. Amazing. It's about to be published in Spanish. We've already translated wow. it, and then to Portuguese. And so we're putting this first free global mycological curriculum out for teachers and students around Amazing. the world. Amazing. Yeah. And that will yeah. be, it could be parents, it could be teachers, educators that take. So there are three big pieces. So if you go onto fungieducation.org, you'll see there's one for citizen science. There's a portal for citizen scientists and you see how to become, how to collect Amazing. fungi so that they're meaningful to science and there are videos and protocols. There's another piece that are for small children with activities. Mm. So from kindergarten to until, you know, they go to school. And then the third piece is for young school children with the lessons paired to the NGSS standards. And what's starting now and what we're actually fundraising for now is to build a bigger, more comprehensive global mycological curriculum that will be a whole cycle paired to the lessons in biology and the natural sciences and schooling but it will take you up to senior year. And we're working that backwards. So Amazing. where do professors want a first year undergraduate mm-hmm. student to be in mycological terms? And we're building the curriculum back. So yeah, that's, um, we've been working on that for a very long time as well. But the, the first one is ready up and it will be launched in October in both languages. I'm so excited for that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. I'll link to that in the show notes. And so Yay. in the future, it's going to be, it's going to be accessible to those who want to get in. Thank you. I'm just amazed by you and want to really, truly, deeply thank you for this tremendous body of... <laughs> thank you. Of oh. life work. It's it, it's so incredible. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I'm only just starting, I feel. Yeah, <laughs> it's really just the beginning. <laughs> I know that people we can find you you have a personal instagram that's really really educational we have fantastic or rather fungi foundation and all of your websites is there anywhere else people can find you no well fungi foundation so ffungi.org and um there are two instagrams one in english and one in spanish great and um yeah we're always available thank you so much juliana gracias muchas muchas gracias gracias a ti with deep gratitude, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you liked it, hit subscribe and leave us a review. That is always very appreciated. Mushrooms transformed my mind and body. And if you're interested in bringing medicinal mushrooms into your life and health journey, check out rainbow.com for our meticulously sourced Canadian fruiting body mushroom tinctures. Until next time, peace in and peace out, friends. <laughs>